We work so hard to get stronger, happier, more productive and successful. Don't forget the secret ingredient. Get grounded in play. Play grounding when it's time to get a life. Welcome back to Playgrounding. This is Kara Stewart-Fortier here in the Theory Labs Treehouse. This week's guest is going to blow you away. Her name is Heather Dowling. Her one-woman show is opening this Friday night, May 6th, here in Los Angeles. It's called Unemployed Finally. And I'm especially excited about the subtitle. It's called It Took 30 Jobs in 30 Years, But She's Finally Doing What She Wants. And When I was introduced to her, I immediately thought of you. Her story is an example of everything we've been talking about here on the Playgrounding podcast. And even when I was interviewing her, I had those punch in the gut kind of learning moments, you know, the good kind, the the wake up call kind. Um, So as always, before we go into this, I want to make it clear that learning to incorporate play into your life does not mean quitting your job. (laughs) I mean, maybe you're in a great job, but maybe you feel like life has been steadily turning gray or dull or just plain uninspiring. Maybe you could use a little play to spice things up again again and bring some, I don't know, bring some color back into the world. Or maybe the things that you do during your waking hours feel a little like a betrayal. You know, like you owe yourself more, but you just don't know how to get out there and find it. This is exactly what this podcast is about. Either one of those two things. I think for Heather, it's the latter. Um, For me, it's been the latter, but I think it would work for everyone. Either way, you'll get a lot out of this interview. So let's get right to it. Here's Heather. All right. Well, Heather Dowling, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to meet you. <laughs> Thank you for having me. It's great. Michelle uh, Michelle Barton, who was on just a few weeks ago, in- called me last week and just said, I really need to meet this amazing woman. And oh my goodness, it as soon as I got on the phone with you, I was like, oh my goodness, this is meant to be. <laughs> Destiny. Absolutely. Michelle wanted to extend the introduction. She and I are, we're accountability and vision partners for our acting careers. And um, one of the major things I have going on is my one woman show. And um, that's something that Michelle, especially given you know your commitment to bring a conversation of play to people. Um, I I think she just saw how much it took for me to give myself permission to play, to create my one woman show. Um, and so I think that's why she thought would be a good match. And I know, you know, it, it, it definitely did. Um, I did feel very childish a lot of the time that I was putting that show together, (laughs) including throwing massive temper tantrums and, you know, wanting to hide under the bed and things like that. So I, I think that's why she connected with us and, and, and the show, really is my life from the age of 14 to about 40. And, um, you know, it, it's kind of playing with the different phases of that life and everything that brought me to being a performer. Wow. Yeah. That is just amazing. I heard your story. I even just hearing a little bit when Michelle first told me, I just resonated with it so deeply. Uh, I also started, had my first job at the age of 14. I also worked many different kinds of jobs, but what you've done with it. Um, just amazing. 
<laughs> so tell me a little bit about the show and you, it's opening this week. Um, as of the date of this recording, it's this coming Friday. Yeah. So. <laughs> it's uh, May 6th. It opens at the white fire theater at eight o'clock, um, uh, in Sherman Oaks on Ventura Boulevard. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's, it's kind of like leveling up. Like if you're playing a video game and you got past the first few levels, um, this is like level three <laughs> because I, um, I, I premiered the show in, um, Hollywood French festival, 2015. Mm-hmm. And that took everything I had. Like I, I couldn't even believe that I had committed to do that and was scrambling. Like I felt like right up to the last minute, I was pretty convinced I wasn't going to remember anything I wrote. And it was going to go horribly wrong. (laughs) But instead what happened, I ended up selling out. I I started out only planning on three performances. Um, I ended up selling out six performances and I won the Encore Producers Award. Wow. Yeah. And I was nominated for best solo performance out of more than 80 80 solo shows and up against some pretty amazing talent. Um, It's so funny. I don't think the name of the show is Unemployed Finally. I don't think I even said that. (laughs) <laughs> oh, it's the end of the intro. But, <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, and then from there, you know, then I got invited to be in Cake Batter's Funny Women's Festival at IOS, and then I got asked to be in a spotlight series at Theater Unleashed, and then I got invited to Solo Fest at Whitefire. So it was like the the show at the way, it, and I think it's what you said, the way it resonates with people because they. I think what gets people is that the idea one that life is always changing and evolving and whatever you see as possible may actually still be available to you. Like those things that by the time you were 15, 16, 20, 30, 40, the things you gave up on that maybe, maybe there is actually a way to have access to the things you've always wanted. And I think it also, um, kind of makes us all laugh at, how twisty and windy the journey is like, you know, everybody's got a plan and an idea of how they're going to get where they're supposed to be in life. And what really happens is you take kind of this, (laughs) you take a million left turns, right turns, U turns, (laughs) detours, and then you find yourself sometimes exactly where you needed to be. Um, or I would argue you always end up exactly where you need to be. And so I think this show, I think that's why it resonates with people because they can see so much of their own journey in it and their, their own struggles to figure out what's really important to them and, and what they want their life to be for. So yeah, it's a lot of fun. So I was very excited that white fire invited me to bring it back for an extended run. This is my first extended run anywhere. And then I got a Friday night. I felt really, oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's really cool. <laughs> I'm really, congratulations. That's just a dream. Wow. That's amazing. I think one of the things that struck me the most when I heard your story is that I resonating with it myself, I've kind of thought all these years that I am just a weirdo. You know, nobody out there is like me. I, I'm this dissatisfied person that's just always looking for the next thing and, you know, never satisfied with any job and those kinds of things. And, and what struck me was that you felt that if you wrote a one woman show about this, the people wouldn't just come and say, what an interesting story about that odd person <laughs> that people would, that enough people out there in this world would get it. And that's the part that blew me away. You made me feel like, wow, not only am I not alone, but you're proving that so many other people out there are 
on this journey. <laughs> well, and I have to tell you, it actually is kind of funny because that's why that when I referenced throwing temper tantrums <laughs> as a child, that's exactly what I was scared of. I was uh, like, I am going to sound like such a flaky moron. <laughs> and people are going to be like, what was wrong with this woman that she bounced all over the world the way that, you know, not the world literally, but yeah. work the way that she did like what's broken with her. And so two things about that one, what I did discover is that I was not alone in my struggle to find that sweet spot of, yeah, you make a living. Yeah. You, you want to have a profession, you want to have a career. And there's something about the fulfillment of your expression, like who you really are and what you want to contribute and, and the stories you want to tell even if it is, you know, being a teacher or it doesn't, it doesn't mean a performer necessarily, but whatever it is that calls to you Mm -hmm. and finding a way to have that fulfilled. Right. So uh, that was the first part is, wow. A lot of people had crazy pathways to finally end up at the point where they were really fulfilled in what they were doing. Mm -hmm. And that there are a lot of people that still aren't there. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, The other thing that it did is it really had me get complete with my own journey. Like, Doing that writing, um, I, I had no way to anticipate how cathartic it was going to be in <laughs> telling the truth on myself, hmm. letting myself throw fits, let myself get embarrassed, beating myself up a little, and then getting to a point of genuine humor and forgiveness of like, okay, yeah, that's pretty crazy some of this stuff you did. <laughs> Yes. A little wackadoo there for a while. And and to be able to have some compassion for myself and really be like, okay, what's done is done. Now you're here. Aren't you glad? And wow. so it was a really powerful way to complete on my journey and then to, to have it arrive at an even more fulfilling place in terms of being a performer and, and, and a writer and an artist. That's amazing. Now, did you actually experience people kind of looking at you that way or asking you those questions? Um, (laughs) (laughs) Post-show? No, no, but it definitely, I know that a lot of the people that, you know, the people in my life who loved me, Mm -hmm. I know it was very hard Mm -hmm. for them to watch me flounder, you know, like watching someone who, like you said, I was always really, I always just knew that there was something that was going to be better for me. Mm -hmm. And so watching me flounder and kind of move from this to that and the other, and always finding the problem with this or getting so close on that or trying so hard and not getting there or whatever. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And I know they got tired of, I know it was hard to watch from the outside, you know, Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, even my, it was my, my stepmother, Kathy, when she saw the show, you know, it was kind of funny because she was like, yeah, it was kind of tough to hear you make so light of it oh. and kind of encapsulate it because, you know, for those of us that were there <laughs> oh, and I just laughed, I go, yeah, I know. I know it was, a, it was a way more intense ride in real time, but I only had an hour at friends. Oh, man. So I had to, I had to kind of give the highlights and skip over a lot of the gory details, but you know, and it was, and it also had me have a lot of appreciation, love and compassion for my family and friends who, you know, rode with me, you know, they were there, they, they were watching it unfold just as much as I was living it. So, you know, it gave me a deep appreciation for the people in my life and the people who influenced my life and really allowed me to forgive myself and be thankful for where I am. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. I remember my, my mother, especially just, it was just 
head shaking and why can't you just and <laughs> all with the my best interest at heart. I remember that very well. Right, um, right. And when you when you're the one looking at the head shaking, you know, especially when you're young, <laughs> it's so hard to just hear it as a I mean, it's so easy to just hear it as a judgment. Like you yes. all you get is that you're being judged and that what you're doing is wrong when what it's so ironic that you don't get it until later. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh, they were trying to save me from <laughs> They were trying to. Pre- they were trying to prevent me from having to learn something the hard way. Oh, I didn't get that. Yeah, and I especially remember times when I had to be bailed out. You know, where I didn't oh, yeah. have the money and those kinds of things, and then it made me feel even worse about some of the choices I was making. And I thought, you know, well, I better get out there and earn the right to make these choices. And maybe someday after I'm, you know, rich and famous, which of course, with my financial skills, that the rich part was never going to happen, <laughs> let alone the famous part. Um, I, yeah, I, I just remember then when I did decide to take it seriously, like you said, I stuffed it big time. I stuffed everything back in a closet and I kind of just looked at it as well. I'll never see any of that again and um, went on my merry way. And I'm curious to, I I haven't seen the show yet. I'm really excited. Uh, I watched the trailer. I'll definitely be putting that up on um, the, uh, the page on my website with this episode. Um, and I'm wondering what you think of the transition from having jobs to pr- pursuing a career. Um, was there kind of a shift in your thinking in that time? Well, it's interesting because it's happened, it's happened twice now because one of them is very much what you're describing of putting, putting something in the closet, closing the door and moving on. And then there's what's happened with my performing career. So the last job that I had, before I came to California and, and became, became a performer, um, I was the director of operations for a legal services company. Mm. <laughs> wow. <Thanks>. Yes. <laughs> and the funny thing was I had, I had finally gotten to a point in my mind where I was like, okay, you're too old to keep messing around. This is as good as it gets. Mm-hmm. And I, and it was interesting because that sounds like a really negative thing. And in a lot of ways it was, however, you know what, when I took ownership of that, I started to do really well. Really? Um, yeah, for a while there were changes in the company later, but, but when I finally gave myself over to like, when I owned it, like a choice, like this is it, Yes. this is it. I know it doesn't look like I thought it certainly wasn't what I dreamed of, but you know what? This is it. (laughs) And I drove in and got to work and, you know, for a while there, I really did experience, I think what people feel when they have a lot of satisfaction in, you know, jobs that we think of as more corporate or, um, normal, if Mm -hmm. you will, but they find, they find what they're really good at and they find a way to connect to it that, that is, uh, rewarding for them because I did have it for a while. You know, and then there were things that changed, which is always what happens in mm-hmm. life. And it, it started to change. And then we came out to California for my husband's career. He's a producer and an editor and an incredibly talented one. Wow. And he had kind of maxed out what he could do in local television where we were living in Arizona. And uh, I, it was, you know, that closet we stuffed everything in. Yep. Yeah. And when I started hanging out around LA and all the people I started to meet that were working in the business, especially thanks to my husband and my brother-in-law, who's a writer, um, it, the closet sprung open. Wow. That's <laughs> and, amazing. And all of my, and all of my 
longings and visions of performing or maybe writing and all these things just came spilling out. Yep. I couldn't ignore it. No, no way. And it's so funny. I had the same experience moving here to the brewery and it's so strange how the decision to move and suddenly finding yourself in a new community for me literally was the game changer. It just started once I started observing other people who were doing that, who were pursuing these careers in things that I had only dreamed about. I kind of started thinking, wow, maybe that's possible. Maybe. Exactly. Cause see, you know, when you're a kid, when I, you know, when I'm a five-year-old kid living in Colorado with my hardworking family saying, you know, I'm going to be on Broadway when I grow up. (laughs) They love you and they go, okay, honey. (laughs) And they pay for dance classes and you do whatever you do. But like nobody, there's not anybody around Mm -hmm. that you actually see them mirroring that behavior. So the more grown up you get, Mm -hmm. the more distant and impossible those things and unrealistic they seem. But it's funny living here, you know, not to make any uh, bones about how difficult it is and how challenging it is. But at the same time, when you see people actually going after it and you kind of are like, wait a minute, people, people actually do this. Oh yeah. Like they really do this (laughs) and you, and it kind of just shifts the way you see it. And then you start to get that. It really is just a matter of what choices are you willing to make? What, what would you have to change in the way that you live your life? How would your priorities shift? If you were to say, I'm going to do this. Yeah. Oh man, I know, uh, I don't actually talk about this very often anymore. And it's funny that in Michelle's whole episode, I never mentioned it. But when I was in my 20s, I, all I wanted in the whole wide world was to be an actor. And I, I especially loved Shakespeare. And I went off to uh-huh. the UK after, you know, I saved every penny. I worked like two or three jobs just to save up money so I could go audition for UK acting schools, which of course, at the beginning of every single audition class, they would come out and give this speech. Hello, actors from America. Oh my <laughs> there God. was a very little chance you were going to get into this school, but welcome. Uh, <laughs> we are mostly state funded. We can take like one to 2% of the class and over 50% of each audition group was American. Um, so it was just this amazing experience that even at the time I knew, you know, I'd look back someday and after one particular school, it was in, in near Oxford, I remember thinking they have a six-week program and maybe someday I can come back and just do the six-week program for amateurs that's just for fun. And I've held on to that for so long. Mm-hmm. And it's only been recently that I thought, maybe I can be in a Shakespeare play again someday. Maybe I can, maybe I can, maybe I can. Just after having become a part of this community, because like you say, you know, actors who really go for it, man, they're, <laughs> yeah, well, I knew it wasn't that, but, but sometimes it doesn't take like, look, I didn't, I didn't, when we first got out here and I started to fall in love with the idea again, mm-hmm. it wasn't like, I was like, okay, and now I'm going to go write a one woman show and I'm going to start studying and go after a manager, get my headshot. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't like that. Mm-mm. It was like, maybe I'll just, I heard there's this theater doing a show in North Hollywood. Maybe I could try that audition. You know, this tiny, a small company, tiny black box. And they happen to be doing um, the stage version of the of the show Clue. Oh, cool. You know, the movie yeah. Clue. But I mean, my sister and I probably watched that movie 300 times. And I could pretty much recite it word for word. Um, <laughs> so it was like, it was like... The, just something fun that kind of was like, well, I could just try. Maybe it could. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then, and then it kind of, it kind of, it literally just started to kind of snowball. 
That's awesome. And so, you know, I would like for you specifically and anybody that has that niggling little thought, like, well, maybe I could take a Shakespeare class or (laughs) maybe I could take a writing class or maybe I should go to that solo writing class because I've been wanting to do that. Mm -hmm. You know, if you look at it, what does it really cost you and what is really the risk of it? There isn't one. Nope. You know, if you found, I guarantee you, there's so many local theaters that are taking on different adaptations of Shakespeare. And if it's something you really love, why not? Yep, exactly. I mean, and maybe, maybe it all will be is a wildly fulfilling, fun experience once, or it could reconnect you to some things and some pathways that you can see to keep expanding on it. So, you know, it's, it isn't like it has to happen all at once. And I think that's one of the things that I, I, it's just, like I said, the irony of how long it takes to figure that out, that Mm -hmm. it doesn't all have to come at once, that it can come in stages and steps and it won't show up until you're ready for it because it can't. Oh, I like that. (laughs) (laughs) You couldn't even see it. It would be right in front of you, but if you're not ready for it, it's like you're, it's like you're blind to it. Was coming to LA what made you ready for it? (laughs) Oh no. Are you kidding? (laughs) So how long had you been away from acting or been away from your passion? Sweetie, I hadn't been, I think I would, I, I think the last community theater production that I had done in Arizona, it had probably been 15 years. Wow. Or close to, if not 15, pretty close. Wow. Yeah. I, mean, I, I, I had, I had been really active in community theater when I was in my twenties, but I, you know, it was like, this is unrealistic. This is, this is a waste of time. I have got to get handled with my career. And I, you know, I don't want to give away a lot of the highlights of the show, but I also had other things happen in my life. I had been married before and some of the stuff that happened with that. It just, it wasn't realistic mm-hmm. to spend time playing at a community theater. Mm-hmm. Oh, realistic. I love that word. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. So from the, so that, wow, wow. I'm I'm really blown away by that. You're away from it for so long. And you're, I guess I just assume everyone out there who's doing one woman shows or, you know, and I drive around Hollywood and I see all these actors, I figure, well, they're, they're 20 years old. Someone's bankrolling them. And I could never do that because I have to work because I'm responsible, blah, blah, blah. And that was what I said early on after I gave it up. Then yeah. now I look back and go, I've been away from it so long. There's no way. Even if I tried now, it's, it's, it's over. I should stop trying. <laughs> so when you just said that, that was like a big, like finger pointing I felt. And maybe that's the beauty of what you're doing right now. I'm, I'm kind of like, it's kind of like, sorry, not sorry. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> because look, look, we get one life. Yep. At least, you know, others might argue something different, but I would assert there's only one that we remember right now. Yep. <laughs> so we get one that we're going to remember right now. Mm-hmm. And yes, it will take, yes, it takes something. You have to work things out and sometimes you have to get things up and things have to move. But like I said, even if it's something as simple as see the being realistic and responsible part comes in when you map it out to some conclusion, mm-hmm. like I can't get there because I am here mm-hmm. versus could I go take a Shakespeare class? Or could I, is there a local theater that could use some help with a Shakespeare production? Oh, I love it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like you don't have to, have you ever heard the expression, how do you eat an elephant? <laughs> no. How, how you eat an elephant is one bite at a time. <laughs> and that's kind of, you know, cause I, I think that's what happens is people get in the overwhelm of what it would take to make it. 
Yeah. Versus what are the things I could do now that are consistent with what I love that would be fulfilling now and are, would support that, that would actually be in service of that if that's possible. And you don't even have to believe the big things possible, but do you believe that you would enjoy working on something from Shakespeare with a group of people that are like-minded? Oh yeah. <laughs> well, there you go. Yep. <laughs> you know, I mean, you start where you start and then you, you know, you just kind of discover what opens up. Wow. That's amazing. And, and just out of curiosity, I've always kind of wondered this about my own path, like that even some of the things that I did for quote unquote safety, the realistic things. I, I mean, I, I spent a lot of time thinking I had just wasted most of my life, you know, like a, over a decade in, you know, a cubicle and just feeling really bad about that and kind of beating myself up for it. And then some of the people closest to me would always say, but those experiences made you who you are and, you know, don't throw all of that away. And, and when I, I saw the premise of your play where you're literally going through 30 jobs in 30 years to be finally give yourself permission to do what you really want to do. What do you think you got from all of those jobs, all of those different iterations? <laughs> well, a lot of writing material. <laughs> I mean, well, you know, li literally got a show. Okay. So first of all, it was so cute. It was my brother-in-law, actually, that he's a screenplay writer. And it was when I was working remotely still for that company in Arizona until they trained up my replacement and, didn't need me anymore. Um, and I found myself unemployed. Right. Yeah. And it was actually in a conversation with my brother-in-law who was like, wait a second, didn't you say that when you were a kid or when you were young, you always wanted to be an actress. Didn't you do a ton of theater and you wanted to write? And it's like, yeah. And he's like, you know, you, these stories about all your crazy jobs, man, <laughs> you could write the funniest stories about these crazy jobs. <laughs> and I was like, I thought he was nuts. <laughs> and, now, and now all I can do is smile at him and nod because he was right. You know, mm -hmm. like it, it totally came together to something I could have never expected. So that's like the obvious answer. But the other thing I would say that I took away with it, one, I am an incredibly well-rounded person. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of things that I can understand, relate to, and have an intelligent conversation about because mm -hmm. I've been there. <laughs> yes. Um, and I also, I think have, I, I think the other thing I took away from it is a lot of compassion for people Yeah. and for, you know, I know that when I was going through all of that, I was just sure that everyone else, like you said, that everyone else was so clear what they wanted to be when they grew up, they yeah. had it all figured out. They had their college play for, they had their map, right? Mm -hmm. they, had, they had, everything was mapped out. They knew what they wanted and they just went and did it. Yeah. And now, you know, with the times gone past in my own journey, I'm really clear that nothing could be further through from the truth that yep. most people, even the ones, especially sometimes the ones that look like it's all handled in together. If you dig in and talk with them, it's amazing what you find out that they let go of or gave up on or that, you know, or the miracles that happened that they finally did achieve the success that they wanted. It's never the straight line that I think people want to pretend it should be. Yeah. And I don't know where that comes from. I don't know if it's or TV or what, but yeah. how we got the idea that it was some straight line that we should see. I don't think that's ever the case. Yeah. I, I wonder that too. I mean, I did see it in a few of my friends' lives where they decided to get a job right out of college and they were with that company for 
20 years. And I think that's pretty rare these days, but I actually know people who did that, that graduated with me. And I just they always, did what they went to school for. <laughs> <laughs> no, the funny thing was she was my, she's my best friend from my, you know, from my college days all the way to this day. And she was a theater major and an English major. <laughs> I still want her to get back into acting. We'll see. But, yeah. <laughs> but I always did look at her like she's the one who's doing it right the way my parents probably <laughs> wish I did. Yeah. <laughs> because that's doing it right. And you're right. The older we get, the easier it is to see how complicated the world can be and how many more options they are, there are available to us all the time. Um, and, you know, that's the purpose of this podcast. And I don't even know. I, I didn't even start it with an intention of finding any particular message. I really just wanted to remind people to do things that light them up and mm. give them fun. And the fun part for me is just starting it. I'm now meeting people like you randomly. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I'm learning all these amazing lessons because I think when we actually give ourselves permission to play, to do that first step, take that first bite of the elephant, just... Yes for the pure joy of it, it can literally change our entire worlds around if that's what, if that's what that tunnel leads to. <laughs> I think it's completely true because you know, it, it's such a cliche when people say, you know, you don't get, you don't get old because of your age, but because you, you know, you, you start being old, you just, you stop playing, you stop living. And I think it's true. I think you know, like today I was in a cardiovascular class this morning, mm -hmm. which let me tell you something that is no, that is no baby workout. Okay. I mean, it is like even their beginner class just kicks my oh. ass. And, um, I was in there with a woman who was 75 years old. Wow. Joking, we were talking about, cause the girls, we were saying, wow, that's going to give us, those are going to give us, um, bikini arms right there. That workout we did today. And I was like, I always think of it as strapless dress arms because I want to be on a red carpet. <laughs> um, and she, she just started laughing. She goes, I'll just settle for my 75 year old arms. And I just started cracking up. I was like, those are not your average 75, <laughs> you know, and it really is. It's like a, this idea that if you say this is as good as it gets and it's over, mm -hmm. then it is. Yep. Yeah, I mean, if you say so, but you can't do anything different, you can't change. And it's, and it's, it, and you can gather evidence. Like, have you ever noticed that once you have an opinion, it's amazing how you find people to agree with you? Oh, yeah. It's the same where, like, you decide you're going to buy or you go buy a new car and all of a sudden you look around and they're everywhere. Yep. So if you're going to decide that something's impossible, especially when you're talking about in the world of play and, and imagination and creativity and, and performing, you're going to, you can find a lot of people to agree with you. It is a really bad idea. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you know, what's really funny is my own, I think that my something in me that I don't even know what it is, but I, when I came to that conclusion after a lot of discontent about the last job I had or different things going on, I lived alone and there was no reason in the world for me not to just literally throw an adult temper tantrum of just crying and just letting it all out. And that was the phrase that kept coming up for me over and over. Is this all there is? Is this all there is? Mm. And I wasn't ready to give myself a, a permission slip to get out of that situation yet. But I think if we, when we do allow ourselves to really sit down and reflect, when, when we're ready to get out, there's something in us that will just emerge at that moment of... I don't know what it's going to be. I don't know where it's going to lead, 
all I did after that was start thinking, you know what? I remember enjoying living in Los Angeles. Maybe I should move back there. I had no big plans. I didn't say, I think I'm going to try to find an artist community to live in and meet the love of my life and start a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) But I, I just thought I remembered being happy there. Or I could have said, I've always wanted to move to Austin. I could have, you know, just in that moment, that discontent just erupted and turned into Mm. this. And yeah, and it took me a long time to go from that to actually allowing myself to entertain the idea. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. And I, you know, the people that I want to emulate and that I I hope I keep discovering this for myself Mm -hmm. is people who it doesn't have to get to that breakdown, that, that eruption of discontent change to happen. Mm -hmm. Because so sadly, a lot of times it's, it's got to get so bad before people let give themselves permission to yeah. let go and move on. And I would even assert that they uh, will sabotage it until it is so bad that yep. they move on because there's some piece of them that's so discontent that they, they can't let it be. Um, you know, and so what I, what I'm always endeavoring to do is to try <laughs> to be more and more conscious to that so that instead I'm just really in touch with wired up with, you know, for me, it's a divine connect. I, I believe in God and I have a, that relationship is really important to me. Um, and I, the way I put it is I take faithful action and I trust divine time. Wow. So I'm going to be, I'm going to be seeking out and taking action from a place of being faith, having faith mm-hmm. that my path will be made straight. And then it'll be that I'll see opportunities and I'll see what there is to do next. And I'm going to trust that. And I'm going to trust divine timing that there isn't any timeline that I would put upon something to say it has to happen by now. Yes. I have such a limited point of view down here, like <laughs> ant building an anthill, you know, that I don't, for me to think that I know the order of events and how things could come together is kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I would rather, and I look, it's a, it's a, it's an exercise every day. Yep. Surrender to it and be, be willing to be still and be present and listen for guidance and, and pay attention to what's coming up mm-hmm. and, um, and then to be trusting. And, and it's funny cause when I don't, it's so funny. I can feel it in my gut when I, when I take an action out of fear or panic or desperation or some motivation where I feel like things aren't going the way they're supposed to be right now. Mm-hmm. I can feel it. And I cannot tell you how many times I always end up shaking my head later going, yep, I knew it. (laughs) Why did I, I knew I had a feeling this is going to get me off track. So what? So now I'm off track. Now I'm back on track and let's go. You know, you can't, everybody's every, it's unique to everybody. And I think it has to do with how much you're listening and trusting yourself. Yeah. Things and wow. Nobody can do it for you either. You know, that's true, but I, you, you made me think just now and I was about to wrap it up, but I I can't help it. I feel like I just want to ask this question. Um, when we first spoke on the phone, you mentioned that you and Michelle kind of interact with one another as a, I don't know if it's accountability or you guys support each other, inspire each other. Um, I, I imagine, especially when you're first trying to take a new leap, when you just assume that everyone around you is kind of judging you or, or, you know, we just wouldn't understand what you're, what you really want to do because 
of course, everyone else in the whole world just wants to walk that straight path down the career, you know, they're trying to do the same. Yeah. Yeah. So does that relationship and we can edit this out if it doesn't, you know, if if I'm on the wrong track, but is it important to you to have those kinds of people or is that helpful for you? Oh, are you kidding me? I don't know what I would do. I mean, I, I literally do not know what I would do if I were not, if I did not find myself surrounded mm-hmm. by people who are willing to consider ridiculous possibilities, like people who they won't pretend like they know how I'm going to get there. And they don't even know how they're going to get there most of the time, but that they are willing to consider that there isn't a right answer mm-hmm. and that anything's possible. Yep. And that, that if, it, if you're called to it, to go explore. Mm-hmm. It's very much like you're saying, play with it, go explore. I mean, and I don't want to give away too much from the show, but I mean, <laughs> kind of, it really, when it gets down to it, it shows that moment when I gave myself permission to play mm-hmm. and it, and it brought me back to life. It gave me back mm-hmm. the gift of the thing that I'd always wanted. And I, that wasn't what I was up to. But it was just when I gave myself that permission and it was only because I, it was funny. It was a, a good friend that said, well, why don't you just go check out this thing? Mm-hmm. And again, just like what my brother-in-law said, you know, I looked at him like he was crazy too. <laughs> I was like, do you know how old I am now? Do you know how far away I am from any ever performing and blah, 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 blah. <laughs> all, I had all the reasons and and it's just those people being surrounded by those people who ask you to just consider that something might be possible and maybe there's just a step you can take. And, you know, it's, it's, so yeah, I, I don't, I, this is the other thing I figured out that I don't think I wanted to admit when I was younger is that life is a team sport. And if you think you can, if you think you can create, create ex- an extraordinary life alone, it doesn't work like that. No, no, it doesn't. What would you say to somebody who maybe is sitting there on the fence, who's listening to this podcast, but still hasn't really taken any steps out yet? Maybe they're still in that pre-despair <laughs> space and you don't want it, you don't want them to get there. What would you say to them? I would say, so a couple things. One, I'd say where you, where you are is really okay. Mm-hmm. There is nothing wrong with sitting there being terrified right now. <laughs> There really isn't. And if you feel that burn in your belly and you know you're called to do something, eat the elephant one step at a time, one bite at a time. Go just look at where could you find a creative expression that's consistent with what you want. It doesn't, you don't have to, you don't have to turn your life upside down. You don't have to mortgage the house. You don't have to, you know what I mean? It's, It's not, I mean, you can. If you're that motivated, fantastic, go crazy. Cause you know what? I don't think that's wrong either. Mm-hmm. Fine. But if, if you have that burn in your belly and you know that it's time to do something, mm-hmm. go find what that could be. That first small bite for you to, to take on and tell everyone who is closest to you. Oh, wow. Listen, here's the thing. If it's just your idea, you will not hold yourself to account for it. Mm-mm. You will not. It's just too easy to sell yourself out. Wow. You find people like, you know, Michelle and Andy and my husband and and my family, of course, and in Colorado, hi family. <laughs> um, but you know, you tell them here is what I am up to and I need you to check in with me. I need yep. you to remind me, you know, and if, and especially if you have someone specific, that's kind of in the same 
inquiry mm-hmm. and you can promise to hold them account for something and, and they're going to hold you to account. I think that's the most powerful structure to have something actually come into reality instead of just being a good idea. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Wow. That, that's the hardest part right there is admitting what you really want to do because, you know, if it doesn't happen, they're going to look at you like, oh, she wanted to do that thing and she's not doing it. She's and a failure. And of course, do you know what they that. actually say? <laughs> what? <laughs> they actually say is, oh my God, I'm so, I wish I was that brave. Oh, That's yeah. what they actually say. I've heard that. Oh, yeah, but good. They go, but good for you because my gosh, you went for it. How many people go for yeah, Like, but... wow, I wish I could do that. I would never do that. That's what they say. <laughs> yeah. You know, we, we frame it as if it doesn't turn out the way we imagine it's supposed to, then we're a failure and we look bad. No. Nope. No, what it looks like is, wow, that's a human being with some kahanas who yep. is willing to tackle the thing they really want. And there's a there's an admiration. Usually what I get is people are just inspired mm-hmm. and they're, and then they start to share with you the things that they really wanted to do. Mm-hmm. You know, and I love that because I, I want to encourage people to go one bite at a time and see what they can see what they can create. Cause <laughs> there's only one time it's over. Yep. And you'll know because you'll be six feet under and they'll be throwing dirt on you. Yep. And, but until then, it's not over. No, no, it's not. Wow. This has been an incredible conversation. I'm so excited. I'm, and I'm coming to see your show. I'm Yay! on May 20th. And my husband is still solidifying his production schedule. And so I'm just going to go ahead and say I will be there on May 20th. So. Yay! I will be putting links to this, so her website where you can get tickets. I know all your tickets also benefit. Yeah, I was going to say there are two causes. The first three shows are specifically dedicated to the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Mm-hmm. And the, the last three performances are dedicated to the MS Society. And um, when you come see the show, you will know exactly why that is. Okay. And for any of the shows, for all six shows from May 6th to June 10th, when you buy tickets at unemployedfinally.com, you can select the charity you'd like it to benefit. So if it happens that you're coming on a dedicated to leukemia at night, but you know, your mom has MS, um, you can select a ticket that's going to say, you know, to benefit the MS society that way, you know, you don't, that won't make it harder for people to schedule the one that works for them. If that makes sense. That's awesome. No, that's a really great idea. And I'm really looking forward to seeing you there. And I hope if anyone else out there is going, um, we can, you know, pile up and gang up on you on May 20th and be out there in your audience. I would love so. <laughs> it. would be so great. Cause you know, I can't tell you the difference it makes, especially when, uh, having artists in the audience, because no one understands this story better than people who have that creative call. Absolutely. Nobody. <laughs> well, I've got a few around here. I could probably get around. <laughs> yeah, I would imagine there are five or six probably. Yeah, just a few. Well, thank you so much. And thank you, Michelle out there for making this introduction. I, I just so appreciate you coming on the show and sharing this with me. Um, and everybody helped me promote this show throughout the month of May into the beginning of June. Just help us tweet it, help us promote it, stick it on your Facebook page. Um, can't wait to see it. So thanks, Carrie. You're awesome, hun. Thanks so much. Thank you. I'll talk to you later. Very soon. Mm-hmm. Bye bye. Thanks again for joining me on this week's Playgrounding Podcast. I'm really inspired by the things I learned from Heather, and I hope you were too. So let's get started eating that elephant. The metaphor, yes, it's gross, but you know what I mean. (laughs) If you're in the Los Angeles area, 
please come see Heather's show and tell everyone you know about it. You'll get all of the details as well as a link to subscribe on iTunes to the Playgrounding podcast at playgrounding.com. See you next week when we talk to Martin Mapoma, fitness trainer and founder of Primal Play, a youth strength and conditioning program about what having a strong, healthy body has to do with play and enjoying this one crazy life. Bye-bye.